The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game, the show about short video games, games that respect your time. I am Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined this week by two very fine co-hosts. Laura Nash. And Shane Kelly. And this week we are talking about Norco, a uh, point-and-click adventure game from a developer called Geography of Robots. This is their first game, and published by publisher Raw Fury. And it is out for Windows and Mac on Steam, itch.io, and Game Pass for PC. So no uh, Game Pass for consoles or other console ports at this point. We are just talking about Mac and PC. Um, this was uh, one that I decided I was really eager to pick up after hearing some really enthusiastic reviews from some places like Waypoint and Polygon uh, and a few other places where folks just really seemed to dig this game specifically for its pros. And so I was really eager to give it a shot. Yeah, those, those outlets are very into the literary games. I, and I, yeah. I appreciate that. I, I love it when we have a little bit of a crossover from interactive fiction or the adventure game genre uh, on the more artistic side. This is a really tricky one to talk about because it's I, I it feels in a lot of ways more like um, like I appreciated this game in the same way that I would appreciate like an art film uh, <laughs> rather than something like more mechanical. Um as far as a point-and-click adventure game goes, this has all of the sort of hallmarks of the genre. Um, no super complicated puzzles or anything here, but in terms of presentation, if you've played a point-and-click adventure game, you're going to be right at home with 90% of what's presented mm-hmm. here. Um, it's really the pros and the really specific setting and really well-sketched characters that mm. are uh, really the, the interesting aspect here. So um, we should probably just start by talking about the story. Yeah, but before we do that, the tagline for this is a Southern Gothic point-and-click narrative adventure that immerses the player in the sinking suburbs and verdant industrial swamps of a distorted South Louisiana. And what struck me about that is almost the entire sentence is about the setting. And that truly is the beginning of the game. I mean, this there's a lot happening in this game. There's a lot of like, but it's a lot of vibe. And as someone with connections to uh, South Louisiana, um, there's a good sense of like, things are far apart and it's always kind of swampy mm-hmm. and the lights are in the distance and like all of that vibe. Um, people often think Southern Gothic's got to be like, plantations this is the other part of this is like the alligator side of the southern gothic it's overpasses it's uh you know actual alligators it's fishermen it's ditches it's the that's the glowing light of natural gas being flared uh it's and this is something where in terms of the setting all three of us kind of uh grew up in houston texas which is also kind of a uh, a different sort of petrochemical wasteland. Um, it's a citified version yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um th- this w- the setting definitely interested me um and it really is the the 
the main character here. I, I just want to describe the title screen for you because like when you when you open this game, the first screen that you see, you know, you've got the, the title of the game at the top and uh, a landscape that is nothing but the towers of a massive refinery, you know, venting those flaming gas jets um, with little peaks of light here and there sort of blurred um, and, and a sky that is overcast with clouds or maybe smog um it's beautiful sunsets because there's so much pollution in the air it's it's uh it immediately reminded me of every time i've ever gone to places near a refinery uh, in my life which is that you're never that far away in in the houston area but then you know the game uh, spends its first few minutes really sort of introducing you to uh, the setting. Lots of beautiful uh, pixel art, very painted looking um, little scenes, uh, talking you through the you know the setting of of Norco, Louisiana. This this swampy place. Norco is a real place, by the way. Norco is a uh, is a uh, town, although not technically a town. Um, it is what uh, Wikipedia calls it a uh, census designated place, meaning that it is like an unincorporated uh, town area um, that is a real place in southern uh, Louisiana. That is, uh, uh, you know, a town of like two or three thousand people that is built up around a uh, a shell uh, refinery, um, and it's just like a couple of little neighborhoods that sort of surround this this refinery. Um, and the ac- the town is even just an acronym for New Orleans Refining Company. Yeah. So it's like that much the and this is not uh where the water tastes like vine. This is not a like country south. This is a city south. This is a rural city south. Like it's an industrial south. It's not a you know, there's you know, tangential to like, you know, there is a French quarter, there's like New Orleans flavor, but it's like suburban refinery south yeah, is, not not beautiful firefly south right on the mississippi river yeah. uh they're right next to new orleans uh it's this sort of like petro suburb like uh yeah it, and it has this it's the 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 place is just like incredibly well defined in this but we're also not talking about modern day uh, Norco. Mm-hmm. This is Norco of the you know near future question marks um, because this is a science fiction game, and so there are a number of different ways that the world of Norco the game differs from Norco Louisiana of today, and you start seeing them immediately. So, um, you know, it seems very much of the current time in some ways. the The houses look familiar, the cars look familiar, but there are uh, sentient robots. There is, uh, you know, uh, there, one of the characters early in the game goes to a clinic to have her head, her brain downloaded into something called a head drive. Um, these sort of, uh, the developer specifically, uh, rejects the term cyberpunk. Um, but, uh, it has a lot of the hallmarks of a cyberpunk. Yeah, it has some of the technological hallmarks of cyberpunk, but it doesn't have any of the sort of plot or character side Really? And there's not like individual augmentation. The idea is maybe that the characters are too poor to actually be cyberpunk. That's augmented. that's a good point. So like the cyber, all of the technology except for individual cell phones is is corporate owned, 
um, and often puts people out of jobs. So like that, I feel like put some boundaries on the cyberpunk influence. Yeah, that's a very good point. One of the first interactions you have in this game, and we'll talk in a sec about the the characters and the setup, but like one of the first interactions you have in this game is uh, going to a convenience store and outside there is this like rowdy asshole who doesn't want to let you go into the convenience store. And he's sort of there because he used to work at the convenience store um, and has since been replaced by like an AI screen instead of a teller. Yeah, behind um, the same glass that would protect a teller from, uh, you know, if you if you've been to uh, uh, a, a gas station in a bad part of town, you you know the the glass case uh, that the teller is inside of. Well, imagine inside of that there is just like uh, an, an I- iPad with a face on <laughs> it, an iPad with a face on it, and a, uh, a, a an arm that looks like it's out of a crane game, and uh, <laughs> and then if you don't. If you pick up something and don't pay for it, they lock the door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of world that we're living in here. And the technology and sort of, um, you know, the speculative fictionness of it gets stranger and stranger the farther in we get. We'll talk about some of the weirder bits later. But, like, at first it has this sort of feel of, like, realistic near future. The kinds of things that, you know, you might see on a black mirror or something you know um but let's talk about the the character side of this too because it it also begins by introducing you to the main cast of characters the main character that you play as in this is named Kay, and she is kind of like the girl who got out uh of town right she uh it 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 explains your backstory with your family your mom um caroline uh, raised you and your brother, oh, geez, is it Brian or Blake? Blake, thank you. Uh, raised you and your brother, Blake, uh, here in Norco. Um, your father, whose name is Blue, is never seen in this. Uh, he died prior to the beginning of the game. The The inciting incident of the game is that Kay is coming home. Yes, yeah, seen in flashback. The, the inciting incident of the game is that Kay is coming home um, because her mother has recently died of cancer. Um but when she gets there uh, to, you know, help settle her mother's affairs or whatever it is that you do, uh, her brother, Blake, is missing. Uh, and Million, their <laughs> robot tenant? Like, how would we describe um, uh, Million's AI relationship? AI refugee? security bot that became part of their family? Yeah. yeah. Um, it, Million is concerned, doesn't know where Blake is and wants to help you track Blake down. Um, and that's sort of the beginning of this larger mystery that Kay is uncovering throughout the game. The game also switches perspectives sometimes. So um, about half of the game, or maybe a little less, is actually from the perspective of Kay's mom some months before the action of Kay's storyline. So... Um, Kay's mom, Caroline, knows that she's dying and is trying to make a little money. Um, presumably, I think it's I think it's stated some t- at some point that she has medical debts that she's trying to settle up so that she doesn't yes. leave and if, a disaster for her children. You can even look on the, the cell phone from your mother and see the the alerts about the new bills showing up mm-hmm. on on and it's all from the hospital. So yeah. So sad stuff, stuff there, yeah. Um, so that's sort of the, the basic setup of this game. Um, you're, uh, you're going to be doing adventure gamey stuff around the city of Norco, trying to find your missing brother along with a uh, million. 
it also has a three-act structure and it introduces a lot of characters. You spend a lot of time with Million in the first act, but like in the second act, you're spending more time with other characters. New characters are introduced that you spend a lot of time with in act three. It's um, uh, It has a really, uh, I think, really skillfully picks up characters uh, who explain to you who they are very quickly and succinctly through good writing and dialogue and then uh, uh, bow off stage as soon as they are done with in order to introduce something new. It, it um, None of the characters overstay their welcome. They really, um, they're constantly introducing you to new angles, uh, new perspectives with new characters that are all, I thought, pretty universally interesting and and if not all likable like this game is does a really good job of making you like even its real losers and terrible characters um so like it has empathy for everybody um so everything from uh you know million the runaway security robot to lucky the the uh strange woods dwelling fugitive homeless guy who just wants to reunite with his dog and also blow things up um or uh, the strange cultists who wear what look like Best Buy uniforms. Lots of really strange characters in this. How 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 beat by beat do we want to get talking about the story? Because there are some elements to this that I feel like would be worth talking about in more detail. But I I didn't know where we wanted to go in terms of like how how specific do we want to get talking about the story beats of Norco. Before we dig in, I think it's important to say uh, if you're not sure about this game right now, you can play Act One. The whole thing is available as a demo. So, especially, mm-hmm. I think that's um, that to me means uh, if you want to play completely spoiler free, you can just ditch us and go download a free Act One and see if it's for you. Um, I think it's fair game to talk about anything after that up to that point. Because you can play it for free and there's no reason not to. It's in all the press kit pictures. I feel like that's fair game. One of the things I think will stand out to a lot of people on this game is the art style. And I'm trying to decide whether Reagan is going to like it or not. Because Reagan is (laughs) on record as being a pixel art purist. (laughs) And uh, has very strong opinions about, for example, how a sprite can be scaled. Even if it is on something like a Steam Deck. So... Uh, even if you're watching on a 4K TV. Um, so th- I thought this game really had kind of a loose, sketchy style to the illustration. Like the nice thing about um, this, the um, the art here being pixel art is that uh, things like the... Uh, the venting towers on the on the horizon from the rising out of the kind of petrochemical farms. Uh, those look great in like pixel preci- pixel precise lines everywhere. Uh, but the actual renderings of characters and things like that is also kind of loose and sketchy, kind of within the the context of the of the of the the pixel art. And it doesn't constrain itself to a limited color palette like some pixel art emulating point and click adventures of yore might do. Um, it, this game has lots of really uh, varied and vivid colors and and the illustration at times is extremely surreal and kind of breaks from some of the things you would expect 
from uh, like a point and click adventure game. And then also it's it tends to be pretty generous with uh, character illustrations. It just you, you have, for example, in one conversation with someone, you might have two or three slightly different, very kind of sketchy illustrations of their face. So well, I, I think I generally I liked it, uh, like especially when it got to the to the weirder side. Like all point-and-click adventure games, you are occasionally going to, I feel, find yourself playing Hunt the Pixel. Um, and, you know, if, if there's a clickable target somewhere in the in the level that is something smallish on screen, the fact that it is chunky pixel art sometimes makes it harder to tell what it is. Um, especially, like, if it's, if it's a, is that a gas station in the distance? Or is that just li- literally any building? Which of these is the gas station? Things like that. So, um, but in general, that was pretty cool. Um, and like the, the illustration style ties it back to the history of point and click adventure games, which really is the, the poetry of this, of this genre is the, the form that kind of comes down from the Guybrush Three Woods of the world. The thing I really thought was special about the art in this game was the times um, this app can have um, ver- this app, this game. I was thinking about the- this game has like 18,000 apps in it. And, um, but the the game in general has this kind of like overwrought language at times that is very stylized. And sometimes they match that in the pixel art. And um, I very early in the game, maybe the fourth or fifth image you see is uh, you see a beautiful sunset um, with the petroleum towers of the refinery in the foreground. And then you see like a woman's green eyes floating in the background. If you've seen the great Gatsby cover from the twenties, that's exactly that. what I thought of. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a dead ringer. I mean, it's a woman with green eyes floating above a petrochemical plant with a like red sunlight it's exactly instead of the lights of the beautiful city it is a power plant it's color inverted from that and it's it's a it's a uh it's inverted in other ways too so instead of the kind of golden towers of uh of gatsby's home i guess is what that's supposed to illustrate it's the you're seeing the smoke rising from possibly a chemical Mm -hmm. explosion and i think I think they're doing a lot of that kind of thing where they're taking like they're melding two images on top of each other over and over. Like that seems to be like a double exposed photograph. Exactly. That's a great comparison. And I haven't seen that happen as often in, in, in pixel art. Um, It's a very painterly style. Uh, I've seen it elsewhere, but it's, it's very concentrated imagery. I heard somewhere, I think it might have been on a podcast uh, other than this one, that uh, there are others, uh, that the that the artist who did this is primarily a painter, and this mm. is their first game working in pixel art, or first thing working in pixel art. This is the first game from uh, Geography of Robots. And you really see it, especially, like, obviously we can't talk too spoilery, but, like, the last act um, takes a turn for the more... Uh, almost psychedelic at times. It gets really, it gets much more um, visually diverse. And some of the art, you can kind of get a sense of this even if you just like look up the game on Steam and look at the image that's being used as the cover art for the game. And it has this sort of, it's a, it's a picture of 
the uh, mother and two children, the like you know, Kay and um, and uh, uh, I keep thinking Brian, but it's not. It's um, Blake. Blake, thank you. Sorry. Um, uh, sitting on the back of their truck in a pose that looks almost like a religious icon, right? It has this. It has this look of like uh, like the like something that you'd see uh, on the altar at a church. You know, but it's uh, but it's actually just the back of a pickup truck surrounded by other odd imagery from the game. You know, the cat, the the terrifying bird creature that we haven't discussed yet, Um, uh, you know, other other visual elements. And it like you look, you take one look at that and you're like, this is somebody who works in oil paint or something. Right. Um, And that visual style is something that intrudes more and more into the world of this game like they they execute well on the sort of adventure game scene with things turned at uh you know at one quarter angles and uh you know uh, giving you lots of views of objects you may wish to click on but they very often move beyond that sort of standard adventure game style art uh into this sort of more uh mural like paintings that need to be scrolled over um that have non-representational imagery in them that kind of thing so i i think visually it's it's pretty stunning shane in answer to your uh uh i will say uh jab uh i do think this actually holds up very well as pixel art because it is mostly uh, backgrounds and it, unlike something like it's not like a platformer where there are sprites jumping around or moving around on top of things at most we've got these beautiful backgrounds that are on grid pixel art Your well favorite. Cor- correctly correctly proportioned as far as i can tell and when things do move they are moving in little quantized pixel ways so it it it, it passes my sniff test um and the only things that really do a lot of moving are, you know, occasionally there'll be things like uh, like portraits and things like that. So, Reagan, did you before we get off of this, did you turn on the CRT filter? No, I generally don't like CRT filters. I didn't like and this one either. <laughs> it's not a, no. it's not a particularly good one. I think it's off by default for a reason. Yeah, I can see kind of why they might want to include a CRT filter. But for me, like as a CRT enthusiast, CRT filters are in general insulting. So I leave them disabled where they are available for the most part. May I uh, shift back to a praise from the insult of the CRT? Yes. Uh, you mentioned the moving portraits. I um, will say my favorite artistic moment, and there were some really great visuals. My favorite one was the, there's a scene where there's a kind of a drunk dude sitting at a bar. Uh, I won't spoil who it is, but while they're talking, the stomach is moving in and out. Mm-hmm. And occasionally the portrait will hiccup and the stomach will like shake, <laughs> like yeah. visibly shake out. And it is one of the most, it's gross and disturbing yes. and very funny and like that is what i like like, like that's the kind of detail i like in a, an that's animation a, that's something we should probably talk about briefly because this is a story this is a downer story this is a story about like um uh like loss and death it's a story about uh like ecological despair and it's about yeah. it's about a terrible place to live in some ways um but it's also extremely funny at many points. There's so many times where this game takes a moment to like 
add some levity to what otherwise might be a sort of a bleak feeling story. It it specifically um, has a a a a, a real gallows humor sense mm-hmm. of humor to it. Um, there are pretty constantly little item descriptions or scenes uh, that made me laugh. The the one that really tickled me the most was some of the the stuff around um like new orleans tour- tourists getting ripped off oh yeah um, perfect the the oodles of shirts and like that everyone is trying to pawn off on the tourists is just one of the best little side things did you guys uh pet the cat I did, uh, but I could not pet, uh, sufficiently pet, pet the cat. And I, pet and pet and pet the cat. I was, and... petting, I was petting the cat too late at night, and my reaction time was pretty slow. There's uh, a did, there's a cat. There's a big payoff. Uh, Laura, what happens when you pet the cat? Uh, every time you, you yeah, I, I don't. This is an actual. You can tell one. me, but maybe you don't want to tell the listeners. I want to know what happens when you pet the cat. All right, uh, listeners, jump ahead. 10 so seconds for, for listeners when you pet the cat there is essentially a mini game that is playing simon with uh weird uh weird symbols Glyphs. i was yeah. uh too slow to get like the like level six uh simon. but it's warning you each time the cat is getting more hard eyes and more jittery and it's like the, the owner's like maybe you should stop petting my cat like man the cat's getting too excited and that seems to be when when shane failed the game and the cat bites you and um, skip forward 10 seconds. The cat launches into space. <laughs> it just rockets up through the ceiling and the cat's owner is so mad at you. And every time you go back there, she just gives you stink eyes. Can't believe you did that to my cat. But you get a new phone case. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's lots of weird moments in, in the game like that. Um, but it's, it's primarily this sort of more, uh, um, kind of haunting story uh i i think we can talk through some of the early game stuff especially act one but you know you're you're uh you're going out looking for um for your mother or sorry for your uh for your brother um and you're meeting people everyone it seems like a real small town everyone has something to say about your mom and your brother um everybody knows who they were um and you're learning a lot of details about your mom's history one of the things the game does really really well that i actually um kind of tied back to uh outer world outer wilds a little bit was it has a uh, a mind map interface Mm -hmm. where every time you learn something it gets added to a mind map that is uh really easy to click click over to and kind of see what you've learned and how it relates to every other thing so you might have like a node on your mind map for your mom and you can click on it and it'll say you know Catherine is and it'll list all the things you know about Catherine, and you can click on those to go in and see more detail about them um, and as you learn new things it will add them to your mind map and color code them so you can see that they're brand new um really really useful uh, in a game where the things that you're learning are sometimes so strange that you could be forgiven for not understanding or misunderstanding or not knowing how one thing relates to another. Um, anything Kay learns becomes part of that mind map so you can make sure you're on the same page with her. Sure. Well, the first act is mostly concerned with uh, you've returned to the town, you're meeting people, you're moving around your room, the the downtown area. Uh, and you get a little bit of an introduction to your mother's last days. Uh, 
there are a lot of threads opened. Uh, the second act, which is after the demo, is more concerned with like pulling on those threads, f- trying to find your brother, like following up on everything and doing more like investigation type thing um, and being very vague. But the like a lot of point and clicks, you you get a small geography at the beginning. Um, I think the end of Act One or towards the end of Act One, you repair the truck uh, so you can now drive around mm-hmm. the city and like actually explore on a larger scale. So it opens up more and more um, in the first act, and then then after that, you are uh, actually kind of going on little missions and and actually accomplishing some of the things that you wanted to investigate in the first one. So we're not we're not really going to talk much about the the specifics of the story here. Um, I, I will say that I believe it is still in Act One where you see um, your mom's perspective. Yes. Yeah, and yes. so her story starts. Uh, things get weird faster with her than they do with Kay. I think um, you you see her. Uh, the first scene with your mom is she's going through. She's at a kind of disreputable head drive clinic. She knows she's dying, and uh, she wants to leave something for her children. This is a world where you can you know download your memories somewhat in sort of into a head drive and leave them for the people who will be there when you're gone. Um, and so she's doing that. And part of that is uh, going through a, a, uh, a dialogue choice thing where you're choosing what to remember and basically choosing what you want included in your head drive. And you can decide, for example, do you want it to have memories of good times with your husband before he um, passed away? I think Died in an explosion. Yeah, but but there was also a divorce, I think, that might have happened before it. I'm a little unclear on how that worked. An unhappiness in the marriage, unclear yeah. if it's a full divorce. Not, or... not a yeah. So like, w- there's some choices that you're making during that of like what what gets passed on in this head drive, um, which is a really interesting moment where you get a really good opportunity to like get her perspective and some backstory from her. Um, and then you do some so the next thing that she's doing is is going on a kind of uh odd jobs uber app. This is an extremely adventure game portion of the very mm. much so, but like her uh her sort of But mission, it's just like a fifty year old lady yeah. tried or like tried to you know, do the gig economy, yeah. which is interesting in its own right, I think. Yeah. And and you're you're on this horrible app called uh is is the app called Superduck? I think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're on this horrible app called Superduck. Uh, no, I think it's called Quack in- Jobs. Oh, okay. it's called Quack, Quack Jobs. Jobs. And yes. it's run yeah. by – the messaging within it is from Superduck. From yeah. Superduck, uh, who is giving you uh, little jobs that he's paying you for – paying you in a cryptocurrency called Quack Coin that you're trying to accumulate in order to hopefully cash it out to real American dollars yeah. and pay off your medical debt. Which you are spending uh, just about as fast as you're making it in order to oh. pay for Ubers to get around to the next quack job. Ugh. 100%. It's so, so terrible. It's and so like, depressing. And it's depressing. really depressing when you find the the phone as K later on and realize the, the, um, the value of quack coin has tanked and all of her quack coin is worth like five bucks. God, that's a kick in the teeth. Um, but the, uh, 
That story gets very strange very fast. Oh, yeah, it does. I think it's probably okay for us to talk about Super Duck. Yeah. Yeah. You, you get um, to him right at the end of that portion, so it's pretty, mm-hmm. pretty early. So it, it becomes, I guess, um, it becomes clear pretty soon that uh, Super Duck is a strange network consciousness made up of computers, but also animals and just the world around you. If you're a Game of Thrones fan, it's the Weirnet of all the trees and all yeah. the birds. It's that, but in yeah. but with tech. Yeah, it is uh, a friend of hers, Duck, uh, had his head uploaded into a head drive, similarly to the way that uh, that Caroline does. I'm sure I'm getting her name wrong. I, I, the mom. Catherine. Catherine, thank you. I'm really bad with names for this one for some reason. Um, and uh, somehow his consciousness on his crappy head drive became the seed for a networked conscious, a networked bio network consciousness thing. Um, but all you see is like apps. You see like app messaging and then you, you, you get a very cool visual surprise that I will not spoil because it's cool as hell. Um, yeah. If that sounds weird to you, the idea that this game just sort of casually throws in that, uh, the the birds and animals and swamp of Norco, Louisiana, have come alive with a consciousness that's paying people in cryptocurrency, um, and calls itself Super Duck. If that sounds weird to you, that's only the beginning of the weird in this game. It uh, after the first act or so, it starts getting extraordinarily strange weird fiction, weird sci-fi kind of vibes here. Um, and that actually was where it started really drawing me in more. I, uh, I, I, I thought that the characters were really well done and, and interesting in the first act. Um, and it, it's intriguing to have this sort of casual, sentient AI, strange, we didn't even talk about what Million looks like, this, this robot living with them, Million, that looks like a glass mannequin filled with, stars um it's super cool design and just really strange which they describe as her eyes yeah the stuff that really appealed to me in this game was the specificity because Mm. i think uh often i see kind of cyberpunk stuff that's very generic like we can have a bingo card and be like these are the things in a cyberpunk game and even when some of those aspects are embraced by this game, it's always in a really specific context. Like the AI is running a gig economy rideshare app and you still have to pay for Ubers because you don't have a car. Like it, it, it's that kind of trickle down of this concept that is pretty overused is kind of given a very specific flavor. Um, another one that I really liked, for example, is um, one of the gigs needs you to do something and your mission is to get around like a weird religious culty thing and i'm like yeah that's very familiar to me like louisiana is technically still in the bible belt there are dry counties like weird religious things is kind of what happens um mm-hmm. i was i, I won't just yeah. but i think the flavor the, of the cult the is religious really fun. cult here is is extremely specific and it's not played for goofs it's strange um but it's also strangely familiar like you get this 
like this whole sequence where you're when you're trying to sort of infiltrate the cult where you have to like find and read their scripture and like a lot of the the like the scripture is basically telling the story of the the main guy um who runs the cult what is his name john keep something starts with a k yeah whatever the guy's name is um you know his scripture includes stories where like somebody uh, he makes a joke that's taken badly and somebody calls him a Nazi and he's like, well, fine, I'm going to double down and, and be worse. It's like, it sounds like the, the, um, the, like it, it, these very sort of familiar dynamics. Yeah. And but it's also the poetry of like the weird homeless dude, like kind of giving like real, religious iconography talks to you but also maybe there's a blue thing at his forehead so maybe it's cyber it's it's a very like odd blend um feels very like he's extremely <laughs> distressing the ditch man aka pawpaw is like extremely distressing a weird character and you have to be with him for a significant amount of time in this game oh boy he's strange i just liked him but like like it's yeah um it's it's that kind of stuff that i like i'm trying not to i'm trying to give specific details that are yeah, not actually that are not going to reveal plot. plot yeah it's hard with this because it is a kind of like um it, it like it is a mystery that's being unraveled piece by piece you know there's there's the mystery of like um the 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 mother uh was a researcher prior to losing her job and she you know, had this very um, she had this connection where she really wanted to investigate something that was going on in the swamps. She saw something in the swamp and she wanted to uncover the details and everybody kind of wants a piece of her for it. Um, so it is this sort of this mystery, this this uh, it, it rolls together the mystery of like what happened to the brother with, you know, what is happening in deep in the swamp of Norco Um Etc. Etc. Like what? What? Uh, what's going on with this strange cult? And it all ravel- It all comes together in the end in uh, in a way that I found really satisfying and also just like truly visually wild. Um, it's it's a game that only gets weirder as it goes along, but also packs more of a punch as it goes along. Like I, I found it really, really impactful. There are two endings. Um, I got both of them. You can if you want. If you you know you, you have to kind of screw yourself out of it if you don't. Like maybe make a, make a couple saves as you think you might be nearing the end. If you think you might want to see both endings because they are both valid and really really interesting. Um, look at you know look it up if you aren't sure how to how to get ending two or whatever. Uh, I think it was worth checking them both out. Um, but it, the other thing that I would just say is that it's I, we've already talked about the pros here, but this is one of the most poetically written games I've played in a long time. Just the pros here. It like at every turn, it finds an opportunity to throw you just absolutely fantastic pros. Um, I'm trying to think if there's a good example that I might be able to find a screenshot, have have a screenshot of. I didn't take enough screenshots as I was playing this because I was playing it on Steam Deck and I hadn't figured out what the screenshot key was yet. I usually take more screenshots when I find good quotes and stuff and I don't have them for this one. It's really hard on this one because if you do the max screen gap, it will actually advance the the, (sighs) the screen. Um, So I I had a little bit of trouble, but I think one of the 
quotes I took was, the years carried you through overlit suburbs of the vast American limbo, across mountains, above cell towers. Like that, just that kind of pace and like grandeur. I wish I could find a, uh, a screenshot of early in the game, there's a moment when you're exploring the house and it uh, the game takes a minute to tell you about the various times the house has flooded. Oh man, that was great. Oh, that's yeah, that a, a, and it made me have all these feelings and, from and it said Houston. from all the yes, floods that having, I've had from yeah. all the floods we've survived. It talks about the the house. It's not just saying how when the house has flooded. It's also saying the house will flood again and, and yeah. Describes it talks what you will happen. These, yeah, the three times floods. the house is flooded. The first time, you know, the first time you were very young and you barely remember it. The second time, it has these very sense memory things of like the feeling of wet carpet, seeing your mother pulling carpet out by the handful. That kind of thing. The third time, you know, you were more of an adult and it was closer to when you were, were leaving. And it has these really great moments. And then, yeah, after you've read about the three past times when the house has flooded, it tells you the house will flood again one day. And, uh, and the, you know, it will be, uh, I, I, I wish I, I mean, had there's... it in front of me, but it basically says that, that this, that, you know, it, it presents a kind of a faded future for the area where the, um, you know, everything will be left abandoned and the house will be squatted in by oil pirates and eventually burned to the ground. And, and I had just listened to, uh, there's a podcast, a daily podcast called, um, so this day in esoteric political history. <laughs> and they did a thing on the Mississippi flood of 1927, which I never had heard of Mississippi were flooded and it was catastrophic. Um, and uh, I, they played at the end of the episode. There's a Randy Newman song called Louisiana uh, 1927 that says, Louisiana, they're trying to wash us away. And I just kept thinking of that when I saw this because it was like the first – every time you click, it's the first flood paragraph. You click the second flood paragraph, the third flood, the fourth flood. So the idea that like uh, Louisiana is a place that you have to live because – it can go away. It can wash away at any second. And I was like, ah, this, this feels salient in this game. <laughs> the thing that that's, that's Don't back be, to me. The, the, just the, obvious. State your themes. I'll like you more. <laughs> <laughs> the poetry of the writing here is um, like so much of, of poetry is that the form, right? And uh, when you have good games writing like this, it takes – the kind of click to advance and it or something like that and elevates it into the you know poetic caesura or or something like that so that that's it's very well played here like every little item description uh is just a, another little poem or another stanza of a poem um now your your sensitivity to that kind of writing may be high or low so if you are uh if you're going to I I know people who who are annoyed when they click on like you know there's a a, a five pixel wide uh, postcard taped to the wall and you click on it and you get like two paragraphs uh, of uh, functionally irrelevant text about a vacation or something like that. Uh, but but if you're here for this kind of uh, writing forward like. Uh, game that's really dense with themes that this is something that I think a lot of people are going to want to check out. Yeah, I did a little research on the dev and uh, we always like a 
developer who's incredibly specific and like using the background. This dev literally has a master's in urban and regional planning, specifically studying the impact of the petrochemical industry in Louisiana. <laughs> and, wow. Okay. Yep. Uh, and then worked in like doing geographical data stuff in New Orleans for a while before they decided to make games. So like, yeah, make a game based on what you know. Um, you know, I, I was reading an interview and they were like, citing like Mike Davis, who's a critical geographer. And I was like, who is this dev citing Mike Davis who came up in a work thing about like Native American land borders? And I I did a little research and was like, ah, okay, academic nerd. This game makes more sense now. It it doesn't have that whiff of academia, but it does definitely feel like this person knows what they're talking about. I think it kind of does. Like there's there's moments in this game where you can take an academic text down off of the shelf. Off the wall. That's probably something from his act. Yeah, they're actually yeah. like their shelf, I'm sure. Yeah, and it's it's definitely like rooted in someone who has thought extremely deeply about every aspect of this place. It's, you know, it's history, it's ecology, it's people and it's politics and culture and so on. And um all of that really shows this is definitely like you know, writing what you know, I guess. Um, but with all the sci-fi stuff too. Yeah. And like, it's a place where there's like robots, but also field recordings from Baton Rouge. (laughs) If you're going to write weird science fiction, something that takes the real world and shows it to you in a twisted way, um, extrapolating based on real world, modern problems, it helps to just have a real absolute lock on the setting and the actual modern issues that uh, that that place is is experiencing, and, and this does that. Mm-hmm. So I think that might be all we can really say about Norco without talking spoilers. And it is a game that I think benefits from playing with the fewer spoilers, the better. Um, so I would definitely recommend checking this out if you are the sort of person who enjoys point and click adventure games. I think this is one of, going to be one of the best ones this year, um, at least. And uh, it's also on Game Pass. Uh, You have to have the PC Game Pass. I mentioned that earlier. Um, But if you do, I think this is a no-brainer. Absolutely worth your time. Um, I think this game is about six hours long. Is that does that jive with everyone's expectation? Yeah, probably. If you clicked on everything, you probably could get up to eight or even more. Maybe, yeah. But I think like if you're really jamming through it, also you might be able to do it in four or something. There's a lot of like optional stuff. Yeah, optional text. Yeah, the reward in this game usually was uh, more text. I'm I'm reminded of a couple of opportunities where the game gives you an out, asks you, in fact, explicitly not to uh, interact with something, you know, not just things like it's cat thing, but like, like, did any of you guys um, waste 15 minutes reading the story about the guy taking shit in this yes, game? Yes, I did. I didn't take all full 15 minutes. Um, I mean, I, it's I long. Took- I don't know if 15 minutes is quite accurate. But, like, you talk about examples of the game, like, having content, having great prose for you that it uh, that it makes entirely optional. I, I feel like I can go ahead and share this bit because it's just so... <sighs> Also, we were talking earlier about the ways that this game is like a very serious piece with lots of great poetic writing and good, interesting themes and characters. And yet also it takes time to be very funny, sometimes even slapstick. And uh, there's a bit where you're hanging out outside of a uh, of a uh, bar 
And uh, you see this guy who, in a very adventure gamey way earlier, you had convinced to eat a bad hot dog. Don't need to get into it. And he ate the bad hot dog. And then, unfortunately, you see this guy again. And he, <laughs> he's like, man, why did you tell me to do that? And she said, you know, she's like, I, I'm sorry I had to. Um, I said, well, you don't even want to know what happened afterwards, man. Oh, and, and, you know, you have the dialogue options of like, yeah, sorry. Or yes, yes I do. I do. <laughs> Tell me. And you can Keep say, telling yeah, me. yes, I do. And you have to, you have, he says, no, you really don't. It was a bad story. Uh, and, and you have to tell him, yes, I want to hear about you taking a shit multiple times before he will then tell you the story of him. <laughs> leave finding it's a saga. It's just, quite just a saga. leave it there. It's we'll a saga. I would say very funny. If you want the Chivos, you you need to listen to the story about this is why the achievements guy. should be all off by default. <laughs> yes, but uh, but well worth bugging the well worth explaining to this guy through dialogue that yes, you truly are the kind of person who feeds someone a bad hot dog and then wants them to tell the story of the shit they took afterwards. <laughs> but it was extremely funny and it's just it's just a game that's full of like not just that kind of thing but also just like like lots of really great writing that will make you glad to hear about the bad hot dog shit um this game i i mentioned it's on all of the all of the pc platforms it's on itch if you want to grab it there um I absolutely recommend it. I'm pretty sure they're looking at uh, console ports. Raw Fury, by the way, great publisher. They've been really, you know, doing great stuff. They they published, um, uh, oh, the the speeder bike uh, desert game we played earlier this year. What's it called? Um, Sable? Yeah. Sable. I believe they published Sable and uh, a bunch of other interesting stuff over the last couple of years. They've actually been, I think, a more and more interesting publisher. So uh, one to keep an eye on. Um and uh, they, I've, I, I don't know. I, I think this is a really worthwhile uh, game. I, I would encourage people to check it out. Um, do we have time for what's making us happy this week? Sure. Yes. Oh, good. Okay. Laura, what's making you happy this week? I am here to recommend an adorable, lovely TV show about gay boys falling in love. Um, so I, I loved Heartstopper. Um, it just came out. A lot Netflix. of good stuff about this one. Me too, and I think I think I'm already sold based on the few tweets I've seen. But please tell yeah. me more. So it is um, a very uh, wholesome marshmallow of a show. So it is uh, if you are a fan of Rainbow Warble books, it has that like intense like falling in love of an Eleanor and Park, but without the domestic abuse subplot. Uh, although there is bullying. Um, so the the show is about, um, for once, the show is not about a gay protagonist coming out. The character is already gay when it starts, uh, Charlie Spring. He sits down. Um, there seems to be some kind of a homeroom equivalent called Forms and, I don't know, British stuff. He's sitting at the table and, like, uh, a dude from the rugby team comes and sits down, uh, Nick Nelson. And they slowly become friends and of course Carly has a crush on Nick and but Nick is a rugby player of course so he can't be into Charlie right never never, never. Um, and of course and and uh, this is a pretty like rich there's a lot of like really great side characters all the friends are good um, the 
like the bad kids are like correctly bad. Um, I'm was made so much fun of by my husband because like this does that wonderful thing where they blend the songs that I, a 36 year old, like with modern music. So they kind of go with like, I'm like, Oh, I love this cheer lift song. And then they would play a modern song that was new that kids actually listen to. And I was like, <laughs> this is good. Cause it's just, I get to feel current, but I also get to feel like the songs I like. Still they're matter. throwing you the old person. A Me, bone. the old person is like, <laughs> they're dancing to churches. So I was like, these 15 year olds are not dancing to churches. Um, I was like, this, the author of the books definitely chose this song. Um, but it's just, it's lovely. It's heartwarming. It's short. All the episodes are like 22 to 25 minutes. You're kidding. And how many uh, are there? I didn't know they still did that. There are like seven or eight. The whole thing is like a movie length. God, I'm going to go watch the whole thing tonight. Yeah, you could watch the whole thing right now, and you're just going to have all of the feelings. It's like a nice slow burn romance, like a will they, won't they, but you know they will. It's nice to know a will they won't they, where it's just that like one of them needs to like realize he's bisexual and like work through that rather than like these two people hate each other. They like each other the whole time. Hey, speak it's for yourself. I getting. love that they hate I know, each other bit. But it's really fun to have like it's fresh to have a like they're only themselves are getting in the way, right? Mm-hmm. So that sounds very so wholesome. lovely. Is that on Netflix? I think it's on Netflix. It is right? on Netflix. Um, okay, heart stopper. Yes. It's Great. short. Short, nice things. Love it. That's all Love I to want. Hear about it. Thank you. You've 100% sold me. I'm, I'm going to go watch that soon. Um, I will- it's, Tumblr's probably like just this. Like it, it feels like a Yuri on Ice thing where like the like Tumblr's just going to be this for like the next three months. Oh, yeah. I, I said, I will- oh, yeah, as if I know anything about Tumblr. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, also, I'll say that it started from a webcomic, and the author of the webcomic got to write the whole show. Oh, that's like when cool. does that happen? Yeah, I don't think I've ever that's, heard of this. That's like that really happened. great. Webcomic to live action TV adaptation. That's yeah. That's I knew it had come from comics, but I didn't know it was a webcomic, and I didn't also know that they kept the the writer on. That's really yeah. cool. And she, and she gets to incorporate things like the two of them will stare at each other and like like hand-drawn butterflies will circle their heads and oh. stuff. And Aww. I'm like, ah, this is definitely a like webcomic artist putting a bit of their spin on it. So very cute. Very, again, wholesome. Lots of feelings. But like safe feelings. Well, okay. I'm sold. I'm 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 super super eager to give that a shot. Um I will uh, I will recommend something that uh, so I think we actually already briefly talked about it. Do you remember when we did our uh, Peggle episode? Uh, we talked a little bit about a game that at that time was was like um, still upcoming, and that's Peglin, which has just come out this week. Um, Peglin is out in early access, which is why I think I, I'm not uh, I'm not eliminating the possibility that we will do a whole episode on it. But right now it's it's still like pretty early, early access. Um, but I wanted to give it a shout out because I played a couple of hours of it and I'm really liking what I've seen so far. Peglin is uh, and it, Peglin is a Peggle like uh, pachinko roguelite or roguelike style game, which is a mashup that I think was overdue um so you play as a peglin a tiny little goblin uh that is carrying around a satchel full of orbs uh and uh in very you must build a boat style it has a peggle board for the bottom like five 
uh, sixth of the screen. And then along the very top of the screen is a little encounter area where you see your little peglin facing off against various monsters. Um, each encounter happens on a kind of a map that's very slave aspire. So you've got the kind of like, you know, node to node deciding whether you want to go left or right at the end of each battle to either navigate towards, you know, maybe an upgrade or a battle or whatever it is. You kind of go through that sort of like chart style map. Um, and in each encounter, um, you have a unique Peggle board. Uh, it's, excuse me, it's, it's, it's a uh, copyright distinct from Peggle. So these are pachinko boards. Um, but a Peggle style board. And each time you fire a ball in the Peggle style, you know, launching thing, uh, that is an attack on the creatures that are, that are coming towards you at the top of the screen. Um, and the number of points you get with each ball is the damage that that attack does. And it has really clever ways to sort of extend the traditional Peggle style Regan, if you get too far into this, like, does that mean we can't do an episode on it? Because <laughs> no, I I would totally be willing to do an episode on it. I think the reason that I'm I, I'm hesitant at this point and wanted to just do it as a quick "What's making us happy" is that it is a little light in terms of content right now. It's it's brand new. It just uh... came out in early access this week. Um, I think it it's the kind of thing being being a um a roguelike type of game that I think is going to benefit from some time in early access. I. I do recommend it. I think it's good, but also I think it's like 17 or $18. And right now the amount of content that's there feels a little light for that. Um, I, I feel like this is something that's going to get iterated on and added to over the next year or so, and then have like a more full release. That's going to be a lot more worthy of like discussion. But I think that the bones here are really good. Um, he's extended or they uh, red Nexus games have extended the basics of the Peggle thing. Uh, with some really clever additions. So you have your kind of your deck is a set of these peggle balls that you're cycling through and each ball can have different uh, powers associated with it. So you might have one that you might have a ball that's like a really big boulder and hits more things, but more slowly and bounces funny. Or you might have one that's like a ghost ball that when it goes downward, it bounces on pegs, but when it's bouncing upward, it pe- passes through pegs, which means it has a totally different way of bouncing around. Um, and sometimes they'll also be associated with a different kind of effect on enemies. So like there'll be a dagger ball, for example, that in a very sneaky rogue style fashion um, does pretty terrible damage on regular attacks. But if you hit the critical hit pegs, it does massive damage. Um, so you only want to use that particular ball when you know you can line up a critical hit, that kind of thing. So really smart uh, extension of the Peggle formula to uh you know, to ha- to to cover this more sort of diverse set of scenarios that are presented by the different different enemies that are attacking you. Um, I, I, like I said, I think it's a little light at this point, but I th- I, I think it's really promising. Um, I'm definitely going to be dipping back into this uh, again, maybe you know, a few times while it progresses through early access, and I'll I'll keep you posted. I guess I, I'm really liking it. Yeah, I, I definitely want to check it out. Uh, hopefully, the it gets more of a full release with like all the trimmings and and we can spend a a whole episode on it i think that'd be fun uh shane what's making you happy this week well um you know it's that time again there's been a new magic set release guys new capenna is here and i'm just kidding uh 
<laughs> What's making me happy this week? I was is. I was I was going dead inside as you began speaking, Shane. I was just, I, just my my soul was leaving my body. I was going to be fine with it. It is. It. it I'll. I'll. Uh, I'll. Uh, I'll just drop that it is a pretty hot set, especially if you like uh, Art Deco style art. You see, he wasn't lying. He wa- it wasn't a joke. He's doing it right now. No, but the, the only because that, you mm-hmm. prodded the, the thing that really is making me happy this week is I just finished a book that I read on Reagan's recommendation. So thank you, Reagan. Uh, this is called The Goblin Emperor uh, yes. by Catherine Addison. And the cool thing about this, uh, so yeah, I think now all three of us have read it. So I guess we can have a little book club here for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but to to summarize the book, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fantasy novel. It's a few years old now. And it tells the story of kind of the least favorite son of uh, a emperor of all the elves. This is in a fantasy world where um, basically you're an elf or you're a goblin um, and there's biologically not a ton of difference between being an elf or a goblin. The goblins are very dark-skinned and the elves are very light-skinned. And yeah, there's, there's no... Uh, dwarves or for that matter humans to speak of so it's a it's a kind of a unique fantasy world and beyond that it mixes in some things from um i guess what you might call steampunk although it doesn't feel very steampunk but the the story is of this young man's ascension to being the emperor of Elfland, and um he is the son of the emperor so he is in the line of first succession uh, but he's like the like eighth or ninth in line for the for the throne and kind of banished to the edge of the empire uh because his mother uh now deceased uh was a goblin and the emperor marrying a goblin was part of some um deal with the kind of bordering goblin kingdom um but he he's been basically mistreated all his life and um one morning he finds uh, he gets a message uh that the airship carrying the entire line of succession has crashed uh killing his father the emperor and basically everyone else who was in line for the throne and uh by virtue of him being banished to the edge of the empire he is now the emperor and his name is maya he comes back to the capital and then it's kind of a almost like a comedy of manners uh, style um, story where it's this uh, kind of uh, outsider uh, kind of learning the ways of the court and learning to be the emperor. And and the thing that I thought was really nice about this story is uh, the character of Maya is just a genuinely good and kind and nice person. And the, it is more of a character study of him like that there's not a ton of fantasy tropes here being really heavily played out it's it's more uh like a series of events some of them are more exciting than others but it's it's really just him learning the ways of the court and kind of figuring out how to navigate this new world and how to be a good emperor and uh it really is a neat kind of uh it's a really neat story it it handles a lot of really complex issues with a really light touch and uh the 
you know, even even the most kind of death defying scenes where there's some like attempts on his life and things like that are are handled in a in a very sensitive way, which it's a it's a really it's a relaxing um, kind of nice book, uh, which you don't get a lot of in in fantasy where it's mostly big adventures. So um, I, I was a, very much taken by it. What did you guys think of it? I mean, basically that I think it's like it's a wonderful like triumph of the good boy <laughs> like it's yeah it's it's a it's a really lovely story and yeah it, it mostly strikes me that it's it's not the kind of story that you get in a fantasy setting very often it's this you know um like you said it's a character study but also just sort of like a um your uh, uh an exploration of complex politics from the position of an outsider um, which is always, I think, a pretty interesting thing that you sometimes get in other stories. But this is very focused on that. Mm-hmm. What um, if P.G. Wodehouse but pointy ears? Yeah. I really uh, do suggest that if you read a few pages in that intro section on the grammar of the language and you are like, this is terrible, just skip it. Mm-hmm. You don't need to read it. You can jump straight to the plot. Um, if you're in an ebook version, they will try to tell you that's the beginning of the book. And it is not required reading Mm -hmm. if you listen to an audiobook i think they just put it at the end yeah they put it at the beginning in an ebook and i think it's in the beginning of some of the printed books and just you could skip it uh because when they discuss like when people are using the different tenses for heightened court language it tells you in this the book so you don't need to read the appendix before you start it. Yeah, I did the audiobook on this one. It's a good audiobook. Um I bet. well well read. Um I, I am pretty sure that they put that right at the end and I never it never even occurred to me until getting to the end that it was something that I would have needed to know in advance. So yeah, don't worry about it. But also um uh, I will say that I th- after having done the audiobook, I was tempted to go back and read it printed because it's one of those things where there's just absolute tons of um proper nouns, you know, mm-hmm. lots of people with complex names, also interesting spellings, just tons and, of made up um, words. This is this lots is of made up it, words. This is what this is literally the only thing that makes it fantasy is the fact that they 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 call everyone elves and they made up a thousand words for it. Absolutely. Yeah, it, exactly. <laughs> it could easily just have been like a uh like a uh historical fiction mm-hmm. or uh or something like that. If they had taken out, you know, a handful of words and references to airships and ghosts, um, what this really piqued my interest for. I have, I have for a long time heard the reputation of the book Gormenghast, which I don't, has anybody here read Gormenghast? No, I've, I've heard of that seen too. the adaptation. Oh yes. Okay, so I, I hear this is Gormenghast pops up on like. Every, like, if you like this, you might like that list uh, for things that I like. And it's, like, the – it's from, like, way back in the 50s. But it's basically this. It's, like, um, kind of – And they adapted it with Jonathan Rhys Myers. Yeah. <laughs> which is probably why I've seen it. I've, I, I've heard of that, but I've never uh, I've never looked into it. So now that you mention that uh, – It's, like, I, kitchen some... servant gets elevated yeah, type that's, thing. That sounds like – that sounds fun. Yeah, I, it, it's, it's a really bad comparison because – but um, I, I, I did a reread of this recently, actually, which is partly why I recommended it to Shane. And um, uh, I, in between the first time I read it and the second time, I, I had seen um, – um, uh, a ranking of kings, uh, which is very different, and that's that's much more of an adventure story. But um, it, it is a you know, it, it's a little guy who goes around, and this is a little guy who doesn't go around at all. He stays in one place. 
Um, but they were both just like lovely um, stories about um, people who become royalty sort of unexpectedly and are trying their best to be good. Mm-hmm. And uh, that sounds like it could devolve into being dull. But actually, I think that's a formula that I find really, really compelling. People like like th- this book in particular, like it's sort of core theme seems to be like the question of can one good man change the course of a kind of degenerated empire um and the uh the answer seems to be um only a little but yes and uh, it's really like and and that little bit does matter and i thought it was really interesting so i would totally recommend this book to everybody just as i browbeat shane into checking it out so uh there we are. End of episode. Uh, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. You can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net, where you'll find all the past episodes. You'll find us on uh, all the podcast platforms as well. If you haven't left us a review on your podcast platform of choice and it allows that, please do that. We really appreciate it. It helps more people find the show, or so we are told, and I do believe it. Um, you can also find us on Twitter, still on the the haunted billionaire bird site. Uh, you can find us at underscore short game. Uh, I'm still there as well for the moment at Reagan K R A Y G A N K. Oh, and sorry, the Patreon. viral sensation. Oh. At Reagan K. Yeah. Oh God. I had a, I had a, uh, a viral tweet just ruined my experience of Twitter just before, um, before, uh, you know, the, the, horror that is elon musk acquiring the platform and it's just really made me rethink like if the theoretical theoretically winning twitter is getting getting a lot of likes and retweets right and i i i did a tweet that i thought was mildly funny and interesting and it got widely retweeted i think it got something like eighty thousand likes which is pretty you know maybe not the biggest on twitter but like really un unusually wide reach for me. And all I can say is that that ruined my experience of Twitter for almost two weeks. And, (laughs) um, and during the time in which my Twitter was largely unusable, I was told that one of the people that I like least in the public sphere is acquiring the platform and nothing has made me want to leave Twitter more than the last week. I just, ugh. Um, but then but I how am will still there for find us. Uh, I know if we vacate Twitter, listen, we'll guys, find me on, find me on discord. That's the best place to hit me up. And if you want to get on our discord, uh, then you can, uh, you can join us at patreoncom slash the short game, where for even a dollar a month, you will immediately get access to our discord. And I swear to start posting more of my bad thoughts to our channel on discord and fewer of them to Twitter. And I tweet little enough. So, um, but I am in both of those places. If you want to find me either one, uh, I am still, still in the haunted bird dungeon. Um, Shane, where can people find you? I too post my, my worst thoughts on the discord. Um, but I am on Twitter at eight bit Shane and listeners. Thank you once again for joining. Oh, Laura, didn't, did I not ask you for your, terrible no. bird sight I was wondering why uh, you asked me before her you usually have a sequel I thought I had I thought I had already asked Laura I, I just it's because I sassed him rather than saying where they could find me um, that is where my can penalty. they find you Laura uh, at Laura J Dash on Twitter thank you and listeners thank you once again for joining us on this episode of the short game
He's he's penalizing me because my play date shows up tomorrow. <laughs> Oh my he's god, jealous. I'm so jealous. <laughs> That's why I had to go last. 